Amen. Please be seated. Let me welcome you again to Calvary. We're so glad that you're here. My name's Adam. I serve as pastor. And um, you have, uh, this is my second Sunday as interim pastor. And you have either met me or I want to meet you. So if I have not had the privilege of meeting you, please know that I look forward to meeting you and getting to know you and serving you in whatever way that I can. You have not until today had the privilege, however, of meeting my better half, my wife, Holly. So, Holly, if you would just kind of raise your hand. That's Holly. If you've not had the chance to meet her, uh, she would love to meet you as well. My oldest son, Charlie, is also here, so I'm very blessed to have them with me. But welcome, especially if you're a first-time visitor. And I'm still new, so I don't know if you're a first-time visitor. But if you are a first-time visitor, uh, you are very welcome, and I would love to have a chance to meet you. Thank you, Dustin, and the worship team for leading us in worship. This morning, hopefully when you came in, hopefully when you came in, you grabbed one of these bulletins, and it's going to tell you that today our sermon is on the book of Obadiah. We're starting a new sermon series titled, Small Book, Mighty Message. And what we're doing over five weeks is looking at the five smallest books in the Bible. Did you know that Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable? All scripture? That means we don't skip the small books. And what you're going to see is they're filled with truth because they are God's word just as much as your favorite book of the Bible might be. Now, I'm not going to be here next Sunday because I'm going to Finland to speak at a conference and to teach at a seminary that's run by one of our IMB missionaries. But I want to get you excited about something. Next Sunday, uh, the person preaching will be a a guy by uh, the name of Mike Brito. He's a seminary graduate. He is on staff at a church in Rancho Cucamonga, which is just always fun to say. And he is from Maui. He's a wonderful guy. Look forward next Sunday to hearing from Mike. And then I'll be back the following Sunday, and we'll be back in the sermon series. So if you haven't already started looking for the book of Obadiah, I gave you time. But Obadiah, if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide... It's on page 724. If you're not, it's probably somewhere around 724, uh, 730, or 740. Generally, it's in that area, but it's right after Amos and right before Jonah. So it's in the Old Testament. If you start in the middle of the Bible and sort of flip back, if you get to Ezekiel, you've gone too far. It's one of the 12 minor prophets. It's only one chapter long. So I'm going to read this book for us, and then I'm going to preach this passage for us, this passage of Obadiah. So uh, also, uh, if you're using your phone, that's easy, that's easy. But if you're not, if you're a page-turner like me, and if you are challenged at finding books in the Bible like I am, quite frankly, you can also use that cheat sheet in the beginning of the Bible, that that, uh, table of contents, that'll help you as well, so... The book of Obadiah, find it, keep it open. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll study it in our time together. Hear now the word of the Lord. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a message has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, 
And you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunders came by night, how have you been destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grapes gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasure sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Verse 8, will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise man out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Tenem, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over their disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivors for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shephelah still possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephtha. The exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shephard shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Zion, to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help me, help me, God, to do it justice. As much as I'm able, help me to proclaim the truth of this wonderful book, which you have inspired and preserved, inerrant, all these years. As Dustin said, settled in the heaven, a rock for our lives, unchanging in a changing world. Heavenly Father, this book points us to Jesus. Help us to see him and treasure him and follow him. And Father, if there's anyone here that is not, is not trusting in Jesus for their salvation, may today be the day that you bring about the new birth in them. By your own power, 
and for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you did it. Congratulations. You just read a whole book of the Bible in one sitting. That's something. It really is something. Well, I'd like to start off this morning with some poetry. Now, don't worry. It's not highbrow stuff. No need for interpretation or a dictionary. If you're having uh, sad, uh, gloomy flashbacks to like high school English, don't worry. This is nothing like that. But a poem. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Now you know this rhyme, something great, once great has fallen, and no human, no group of humans, no mere human can put it back together again. No government can fix it. No economic plan can solve it. Something has gone wrong. This nursery rhyme resonates, not just because it rhymes, but because we can all relate to something great being broken. Something once great falling and being beyond human repair. Pretty much every great story has this element. The word is tragedy. There is tragedy in our world. And it's funny when it's a politician who is once great and they suffer a blow to their image. Um, Think Alexander Hamilton after the Reynolds pamphlet. Think Dukakis after the tank photo. Think Rick Perry after he can't remember the third point. Don't we laugh when politicians, once great, no longer are? It's funny when it happens to other people, but it's not funny when it happens to us. It's not funny when, when, our, when our country falls and is broken, when our economy is broken, when our marriage is broken, when our friendships are broken. It's not funny when something once great that matters to us falls and is beyond human repair. The passage today tells this story of something once great falling and being beyond human repair. That's the tragedy. But the redemption is that God saves. God heals. God restores. If you look to God, you are never beyond hope. This is good news. Because you might be here this morning thinking, I'm beyond hope. Listen, you're not if you will look to Jesus. You might think, my marriage is beyond hope. It's not if you will look to Jesus. You might think, my life is beyond hope. But it's not if you will look to Jesus. That's the message that Obadiah has. And that's the message that still is true today. And it will be true forever. So this passage divides up into two parts. One is God's coming judgment, and two is God's redemptive promise. And it's right there in the bulletin. And let me remind all the young people, 18 and under, if you fill out the notes and turn them in, if you fill in 10 bulletins, you get a free gift card to something sweet and something good. I haven't decided yet, but it's going to be great. But these are where you can take some notes. God's coming judgment. So this book is called Obadiah. And it's a short book. We don't know who Obadiah was. We just know that he's called Obadiah. And it's important, not that we know who he is, but it is important that we know his name. Because Obadiah means something. It means worshiper of Yahweh. 
And, and the basic point of the book is that those who worship Yahweh will be restored and vindicated and saved. And those who don't will be judged. And I know that judgment isn't a popular topic, but I don't mean to bring it to you in an unloving fashion. It's a loving thing for God to create us and tell us what our life is about and tell us where things have gone wrong and to tell us that sin will lead us to judgment and to tell us that he's going to provide a savior who will rescue us from judgment and give us eternal life. So Obadiah is the writer and it's a message concerning Edom. Look at verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Now you might be wondering, who is Edom? Well, Edom is the descendants or refers to the descendants of, I heard it in the audience, Esau, Jacob's twin brother. Back if you read Genesis 25 through 29, there are these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and Esau is older. He should get the blessing, but God chooses Jacob. And so Jacob's line becomes synonymous with the line of those who look to God, who trust in God. It becomes synonymous with God's people. And Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, they refer to those who reject God. And as I said last week, the Bible is filled with this theme that there are only two options. You either belong to God through faith in Jesus or you don't. There are sheep and there are goats. When we die, there's eternal life and there's eternal judgment. And you might think you're in the middle, you're Switzerland, but you're not. All of us belong to one of those two groups. Now you might think, well, what did Jacob do that was better than Esau? Because if I just do what he did, then I'll be right with God. But you'd be wrong. And I'll tell you why. Because in the book of Romans, if you read Romans chapter 9 in verse 11, Paul, God interprets the story of Jacob and Esau for us. And God says, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, that is Jacob and Esau, before they were ever born, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, God chose Jacob. So why was Jacob's line the descendants of which came the Messiah? Why Jacob? Because of God's grace. So Jacob becomes synonymous with those who receive God's grace. You might not know what grace is, so let me tell you. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And Esau refers to those, anyone, who rebels against God and goes their own way and disregards God's word. So these two descendants are a story of salvation, and it points us to the grace of God towards those who trust in him. Esau, by the time of this book, is long gone, but his descendants are called Edom. And it's important that you know a little bit of geography. There's Jerusalem, and to the east of Jerusalem, up in the hills is where the Edomites have settled. They live up in the hills. Notice, and you can read about that in Deuteronomy 2 and 23, but their dwelling place is important. They live in the hills. And the hills are synonymous with security. Even in our own day, don't people like to live in the hills? 
the hills are kind of synonymous with security. Now, for us, it's more economic security, but in this day, the hills were literally physical security because if you live in the hills, it's harder for somebody to attack you. And they live in the hills. And they trust in their security. Notice what it says in verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling. Do you see that? They live in the hills. They think they're safe. They don't think they need God. They think that they'll escape God's judgment by their own doing. And God says, no. Notice what they say in verse 3. Look at the end of verse 3. They say in their heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Who will bring me down to the ground? So the Edomites live in the hills and they think they're safe and they're trusting in their own dwelling and in their own riches and in their own protection. And they have betrayed God and they have turned against God's people. Now why, verse 3, the pride in their heart has deceived them. The pride in their heart has deceived them. Look at verse 4. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Notice what it says. You soar aloft like the eagles. Why does Obadiah say that? Because they live up in the hills. Though you dwell among the stars, you live high up above the other people. If you live up in the hills, you can imagine the Edomites, what do they do on their brothers? They look down on their brothers. And Obadiah says, the pride in your heart has brought you down. It will bring you down. Notice the certainty of judgment. Look what it says in verse 4, it says, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. All of us like a good trash talk on the football field or on the bas- or the soccer pitch or wherever it is. I mean, I mean, we're not that spiritual, right? We like a little trash talking. And one of those things you say is, you're going down. But mostly we don't mean it, and often we can't do it. But God means it, and he does it. And you don't hear about the Edomites today because they're destroyed. God's judgments come true, guys. These aren't false threats. If you reject God, if you dwell in pride, if you refuse his grace, there is judgment coming. And God doesn't say this because he hates you. He says it because he loves you. Notice what it says in verse 4. You will be brought down. Look at verse 10. Look down at verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you will be brought down forever. You will be cut off forever. So these phrases, you will be brought down, you will be covered with shame, you will be cut off forever, these things happen. Now notice what it says in verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. What's that all about? Well, the Babylonians have invaded God's land. And they have conquered Judah. And the the, the capital of Judah is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where God's presence is. And the Edomites up in the hill, they make a deal with the devil. 
with Babylon. Babylon in the Bible is synonymous with rebellion and rejection of God and paganism and false idol worship. So the Babylonians worshipped false gods and Obadiah, whose name means I worship Yahweh, delivers a message that because the Edomites have sided with the Babylonians, God has declared they will be cut off. They will be brought low. They will be destroyed. Look at verse 7 where the judgment says, All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have been deceived. So Edom thinks we are aligned with the Babylonians and they're powerful. And so the Babylonians come in and destroy Judah and The Edomites think we succeeded. And God's people in Jerusalem think God has forgotten us. And so Obadiah's message is to Edom, just because you think you got away with it, you haven't. Don't you know the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. And so this is good news to God's people because God's people in Jerusalem, they think they've been forgotten, but Obadiah says, you haven't. They think that, you know, they think that those who sided with the bad guys are winning. And Obadiah says, it looks that way, but just wait. God's people think, you know, maybe, maybe God's promises won't come true. And Obadiah comes along and says, no, God's promises all come true. The proud will be brought low. God humbles those who exalt themselves, and he exalts those who are humbled. What does Jesus say? The last shall be first. And so God pronounces judgment. Look at verse 2 again. Behold, I will make you what? Small. So guys, Edom is small. And they think that going with the sinful world will make them big and important. And God says that will not make you big and important. Matter of fact, that's pride and I will judge you for that and I will make you small. So God is saying to the small tribe that thinks they can make themselves big stuff through sin, I will oppose you. And then to his small band of exiles, he says, I will remember you and I will save you. Now, this is important because as Christians, can't we identify with this? Doesn't it sometimes feel like we're losing? Doesn't it sometimes feel like those who just go along with the world have it better? Doesn't it sometimes, aren't you sometimes tempted to think, you know, if I just went along with everybody else, wouldn't I be in a better position? And there is maybe a temporary win, but an eternal loss. Learn the message of Edom. Learn the lesson that if you, if you go along with the world, if you reject God's word, ultimately, for a time you might seem big, but ultimately you will be made small you will be cut off, you will be judged. And notice this is certain, it is certain. God says, you will be. He doesn't say, you might be. He says, you will be. This will happen. And that's important because God's people don't feel like they'll win. They don't feel like God will remember them, like God will vindicate them. But God says, however you feel, I will do these things. Can I just remind you this morning that your faith does not rest on how you feel? 
Your, rate, your faith should rest upon God's word that doesn't change. Our family was reading in a book of Puritan prayers this week called The Valley of Vision. And The Valley of Vision are a collection of old prayers from the Puritans. And the Puritans were people uh, that lived in America and England back in the 17th century, 16th, 17th century. And they were serious about the word of God. And one of these prayers, the Puritan writer says, God, may my life rest upon what you've said, not on how I feel. So maybe you're here this morning and you are being drawn away from God by your feelings, but God is calling you to trust in him. And there's good reason to trust in him because God is going to judge just as surely as he judged Edom, all of us will stand before God. But God also promises to save. He promises to save. Look what he says in verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Let me stop right there. Obadiah is saying the promise of judgment isn't just about Edom. Because if it were just about Edom, what would we think to ourselves? I don't got to worry about that. I'm not in Edom. But Obadiah says, no, this judgment will come upon all the nations. Our nation and all the nations will stand before King Jesus. And we will give an account And so God promises that his people will be restored. Notice it says in verse 17, But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape. It shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. So God's people in Jerusalem had their possessions stolen from them by the Edomites. And Obadiah is saying, God will restore what was stolen from you. And this is the beautiful thing about the gospel. God restores what's broken. He heals. He restores. Not just those in this day, but in our own day and forever. Look what it says in verse 18. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau a stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. There shall be no survivor for the house of Eden. For the Lord has spoken. So God promises to judge all the nations. All of us will give an account to King Jesus, but don't miss it. God promises to save. Humpty Dumpty, none of the king's horses could put him back together. God is saying to Edom, there's no one on earth who can save you. And God's word is saying to us, there's no one on earth who can save you, redeem you, restore you, cleanse your sin. But notice what God says. Look at the very end, verse 21. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. Now that sounds like it's plural, but really what it's saying is that in the world, there's no one who can save Edom and Babylon and anyone who has sinned. There's no one on earth that can save you if you've been separated from God by sin. Why should that matter to you? Because I've been separated from God by sin and so have you. So all of us need a savior. And Obadiah says, don't look to Babylon to save you. Don't look to the government to save you. Don't look to the culture to save you. Don't look to your parents to save you. Don't look to your pastor to save you. There's no one on earth that can put together what sin has broken. So that's our predicament, friends. But then Obadiah says this, but a savior or saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule over Mount Esau. So remember, Esau stands for rebellion against God, sin and death. 
our enemies, sin and death. Obadiah says, someone's going to come from Mount Zion who will defeat sin and death, who will rule over Esau, who will rule over and pronounce judgment over what is wrong in the world. Who could that be? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Mount Zion. What is Mount Zion? Well, Mount Zion originally was a place. It's Jerusalem. It's the place of God's dwelling. And God is saying that something is going to happen in Jerusalem that will provide victory over sin and death. And if you've studied the story of Jesus, you know that Jesus, Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. And what happens in Jerusalem? He's betrayed for us. And what happens there? He's flogged for us. And what happens there? He's crucified for us. And what happens there? He raises from the dead for us. You see, ultimately, it's not about a place. Don't think you can get on a plane and go to Jerusalem and drink some water or get some oil and be cleansed. It's not about a place. Listen, it's about a person. And the person's name is Jesus. You know why this church is called Calvary? Because it's on Calvary, Mount Zion, where the king fulfilled this. A savior has come. A savior has bled and died and risen. So if you are broken, and if you know that there's nothing in this earth that can put you together again, God says, look to Jesus. See him crucified for you. See his blood shed for you. Trust in him. Turn from your sins. Don't be like the Edomites. Don't think you got this. Don't think I live in the hills. Don't think I look down on other people. Don't think I'm good. I don't need God. Don't worship idols, money, fame, influence. Worship Yahweh. Because Yahweh does what nothing else and no one else can do. Saves, restores, and puts all that is broken back together again. Listen, after the service, I'm going to stand outside. If you're here and you don't have that and you want it, come and talk to me. Because you can leave here today knowing that you've been forgiven and you've received eternal life. And on that day when we gather around the Savior, you'll be there with us. On that day when there is judgment, and listen, there will be judgment. On that day, you will escape the wrath to come because you will have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. You will be made whole and you will receive eternal life if you'll trust in Jesus. And if you've never done that, I'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you've done it and you've never told everybody through baptism. I'd love to talk to you about that too. Or maybe you're looking for a church home where they focus on Christ. Come and talk to me. We'd just love to welcome you into our fellowship. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We cry out to you. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. Today, we've fallen short. This week, we can't even count the number of times we've sinned. Father, if you count our sins against us, none of us would stand on the day of judgment. But we will stand robed in the righteousness of Christ. Heavenly Father, by the power of your Spirit, we have passed from death to life. Lord, in a mysterious way, you say we are even seated with Christ right now. Lord, even as we journey through these hard lives that we live, we are victorious 
in Christ. And all that he's done will one day be ours. Rescue us from pride. Rescue us from going along with the Babylonians and just thinking that by doing what they do, we will have a good life. Lord, show us that true happiness is only in worshiping the one true living God, Yahweh, by the power of the Spirit, through faith in your Messiah, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.